I tell you, it's always good for me to come back to Selma. I've spent two interims here in years gone by, and Laurie's been singing all these years from time. I won't say anything about her age, but mine is 90. And you know, the golden years are different. But just to help you along, they aren't all golden. I'm happy to be preaching here. We got two special guests here, Lillian Eric from Samaritan's Purse. That's the arm of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Near down here with Harold and Anna trying to help their image in the church, you know, by being with them. Will you two just stand a minute? We want to welcome you. I'm going to tell the people a little bit about that. Thank you very much. They're building houses in uh, Selma, and I had the privilege yesterday of going by just to see the new foundation that's already laid for one and we thank you. I'm very close to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. His first crusade was on the West Coast. The second one was in my hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. My parents were very much involved, and I was involved. My training union director, that was in the days when we had training union, was C.B. Brock, who owned Brock Trucking Company. He had all the crusade people out to his house for lunch one day on Cross Lake. He had a big Chris Craft boat. And he told me, he said, Jerry, I want you to come out there and be with us. He said, you can meet these people, and I want you to take the boat and give them a ride around Cross Lake. So I got a personal uh, ride with the association, and I've never forgotten it. We're grateful that you're here, thankful for what you're doing in this good city. The sermon I'm going to preach today is going to be a different sermon from some you've ever heard. It was developed for my home church in Mobile. They had a special service in honor of the country. Several we well, one week before July the 4th. It was uh, put everything in the service. They normally have two services. That day they had one. They have 140 people in the choir plus the orchestra that was there. It was a little bit of heaven come down, I'm telling you. So I'm preaching a message about the love of country and freedom. We celebrated the birth of the nation just a few days ago, July the 4th, 1776. Now, to help some of you understand me and this sermon, many of you don't know that I have another master's degree 
in history. And I was in history at University of Southern Mississippi teaching, they asked me to teach, teaching freshmen, freshman history. I called it through the ages on a pogo stick because all you did was bounce in and out of the civilization. But you're going to pick up a little of that background in this sermon. And I say without apology, that's here. We often talk about the country being formed because of taxation without representation. That's only partly true. The people had been in bondage in Europe and then in England. They wanted freedom, real freedom. And they were willing to do whatever it needed to be done to make that happen. Patrick Henry's words are very, very famous, but they're articulate because they're honest. He said, is life so dear, or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? I know not what course others may take, but for me and my family, give me liberty or give me death. Today, it's hard for us to understand what these colonists had done. It wasn't easy to step up to that table and sign their name because they risked everything. If the colonists lost the war, they would each one be killed. They lost their homes, their family. I'll tell you specifically in a minute what it meant to them to sign that piece of paper and give us the freedom we enjoy today. Let's be honest, these are not the best of times. We're living in a recession that we didn't express. We're living in a time of violence like I've never known in my lifetime. I didn't grow up in this kind of world. I'm a depression baby. I lived through the Second World War. But I didn't know anything about people shooting one another on the street. I didn't know anything about people hating the police. I didn't know anything about people whose morals had gone to the sewer. This is a different time. Our forefathers fought for freedom. Not freedom from the law, but freedom in the law. Not freedom from speech, but freedom of speech. Not freedom from the press, but freedom in the press. What they wanted was a free church in a free state. They sought real freedom. We have it. But I want to ask you a question. Can it survive? Is my subject real? And I want to quote from a lawyer, British lawyer, Alexander Tiddler. He lived from 1747 to 1813. Listen to his quote. 
A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the majority of the voters discover that they can vote for themselves largest, which is excessive or ostentatious gratuities out of the public treasure, with the result that the democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy followed by a dictator. Are we there? What are we looking at? What about the future? Freedom can survive if we always remember that it's God's gift to his people. Now when I'm saying that, listen to this. Freedom is not a matter of inheritance. The Jewish people in my text, which you'll read later, claimed that they were children of Abraham and had never been slaves when at that very moment they were slaves to their own inheritance. Not a matter of inheritance. Not the result of education. Do you realize that the Second World War was started by Japan and Germany, two of the most literate nations in the world at that time? I believe in education. I have a lot of it but it doesn't keep freedom in our hands. A third thing it's not, it's not brute force. Although I'd be the first to admit that freedom cannot last without protection. A nation must have protection to be free. Jesus was attending the Feast of the Tabernacles. At that feast, they always lit the golden candle. And that light from that candle represented the light that God gave them by day and night on their emancipation trip from Egypt to the Promised Land. It reminded them of manna and quail and water. It reminded them of passing through the Red Sea on dry ground. It was a part of their history. And that's when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Every time I think of that and read that, I remember that the Son came to set the people free forever. And yet John wrote in the introduction to his gospel, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to them that received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. The more I thought about that, there are some people today who refuse to admit that God was involved at all in the formation of this country. They don't know history, not at all. 
The Mayflower Compact begins in the name of God. And Lincoln in his Gettysburg Address said, this nation was conceived in liberty. Thomas Jefferson understood this truth. The liberty we claim is the gift of God. Government may take freedom away from us, but only God can give either liberty or life. John F. Kennedy said the rights of man come not from the hands of man, but from the hand of God. Truman said the fundamental basis of the law was given by Moses at the mount. You can't read our history. And let me tell you, the people that don't know history are destined to relive it. That's why history is so important. Paul said in Romans 8, for the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And Jesus said that we're not only free from sin, but we're free from death and the fear of death. Verily, verily, Jesus said in John 8, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. Mary and Martha were all upset about Lazarus. Lord, if you'd been here, that hadn't happened. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And the words of Christ himself in John 3, 16, that you memorized as a child, say that over again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, one of a kind son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the kind of freedom we enjoy in this place today. Hardly ever a preacher stands to preach a funeral. He didn't quote 1 Corinthians 15. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, real, real freedom only comes when we choose the best master. Let me tell you I've learned something from history. All people serve some God. It may not be the real God. They may not recognize it as God. But all people serve some God. 
And as such, in a way, they're slaves to that God. We must learn that there's no such thing as absolute freedom. Someone who just become a citizen of this country was in New York. And she stepped out with a traffic light on green. And a good citizen grabbed her by the arm and pulled her back and said, none against the light. She said, I thought this was a free country. When you think about it, the prodigal son had this problem. See, he thought if he could get away from all that restraint at home and all that guidance he was being given and turn loose to do what he was capable of doing, he'd have the world on a string. The problem was the more he did what he liked, the less he liked what he did. And you often understand or misunderstand when he comes back to his father, what does he ask? Make me a slave. Because then he would really be free. Mature Christians know that's true. Paul's favorite term for himself was the slave of Christ. George Madison said, Lord, make me a slave and then I'll be free. And William Temple said, what we need is to be delivered from the freedom which is perfect bondage to the bondage which is perfect freedom. That's so true. Now, freedom can and will survive if we remember Jefferson's words, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. The 56 men who signed that declaration paid dearly. Five were captured by the British, tortured, and died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Nine fought and died in the war itself. Many of you do not know that I am a former Air Force officer. And I took an oath to defend this country from all enemies, foreign or domestic. I read from another veteran and by the way, I learned from them. A veteran is someone who at one point in his or her life wrote a blank check made out to the United States of America of up to and including death. I want you to know if freedom survives in this country, it's up to you and me. It's our time. We've got to do something about it. We must be vigilant. Freedom demands accountability. Anything less is unacceptable. John Kennedy said something I really believe. Let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill that we will pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, 
support any friend, oppose any foe, in order to assure the survival and success of liberty. The president knew what he was talking about because he was a veteran. In order to be involved, we must address the moral climate in our country. Part of what I'm going to quote came from Billy Graham. And another preacher and I have added to it. But I must give you what he said. The Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good. But that's exactly what we've done. We've exploited the poor and called it lottery. We've rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We've killed our unborn and called it choice. We've shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We've neglected to discipline our country and called it building self-esteem. We've abused power and called it politics. We've coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We've polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We've ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. And in our day and time, we've even dared to rewrite the Bible and change our definition of marriage, our honor of God in all things, the book that we call the Bible. Now, for those who do that, I want to read you, by the way, from my Gideon New Testament, Eddie, from the book of Revelation, the last chapter, verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book and this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. We have to be strong. And in order to be strong, we must stop electing officials beholden to a group of lobbyists who are morally weak, financially needy, and fearful of not being reelected. This is not a total democracy. This is a republic. And the forefathers who developed that constitution set it up with checks and balances. They didn't trust anybody. They didn't trust even the people. They feared the irrationality of a mob as well as the tyranny of a despot. That's the reason it's a republic. I did a little checking. You're going to be interested in this. Since the end of World War I, 
640,000 young men have given their lives to protect the freedom that we sit here with. Graves, Albert Schweitzer wrote, are the great communicators of peace. And that's true. I stood there in Hawaii and looked at that cemetery and thought about December the 7th. Well, you see, my Uncle Buell was there and my cousin was there. They were builders. Thank God they weren't out where the ships were. They were on their homes because it was not a work day. It was Saturday and Sunday. But I look at those graves and think about how many people died that weekend. I've been in Washington and I know I looked at Arlington. Went by the tomb of the unknown soldier and thought of all those people who gave their lives that I might be free. Several years ago, at my wife's guidance, we took a trip to Normandy. And I stood on the Omaha Beach where we suffered the most casualties. 2,400 young men died the first day of that landing. I went in those pillboxes up there where 50 caliber machine gun had sprayed nothing but bullets down there where there were stainless steel barriers and razor wire. And when they opened the doors of that landing craft, many of those boys walked over their own friends. We cannot, we dare not take that for granted. But I stood at another grave in Jerusalem in a little cemetery where a British guide talked about the grave of Christ and it well could have been that. There was a huge stone, a stone trough, a hole in a big stone grave. I want to remind you today what Jesus reminded those disciples. This is what I want you to remember about me. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. You see, the Lord Christ gave us freedom not only from our sins, but from the fear of death. The Caesar of that day would hit his hand on the desk and say, why aren't these Christians afraid to die? I'll tell you why. Because they've been with the living Lord. And they knew that what he said he had proven. And every one of us 
are indebted to him for life and life hereafter. Can freedom survive? Yes. But it'll take a price. And it's up to us to be willing to pay. Let's pray. Father, we cannot thank you enough for what you've done for every one of us. And sometimes we take it so lightly without remembering that the best man this world ever knew was crucified in our place. Thank you for such love. May we reflect it in our lives. In the name of Christ, amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment and give you the opportunity to make a decision. I've been told that you've had decisions the last two or three Sundays. Wouldn't it be wonderful today if someone was sitting here and God was to say to them, this is the place you ought to plant your life. You ought to be in a church like this. If you're here today, and want to make that decision, we're going to open the doors of church to you as we sing together. And if you're moved by the Spirit, we ask you to come. Let's stand together.